Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Here's San Francisco and the incomparable forward, Rick Barry. Behind the end line, they burn him again and it's Barry. And now Rick Barry, the league's leading scorer. What a superb basketball player he is. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Rick Barry Show. And as usual, my cohort in crime, Cyrus Satchis, the surf man himself, who I'm giving major grief to now because he has not been watching the show <laughs> The Ultimate Surfer yet, which is hard for me to believe, but he's a dedicated <laughs> professor. And so he's more concerned about making sure he takes care of his students than he is for his love for surfing. But today, a very special day today for me. Uh, you know, in life, you, you meet people, and in my case, I've what I met so many people in my life. It's just insane. I'm so very lucky and fortunate and blessed. But every once in a while, you know, you meet some person that really kind of stands out from the rest. And and, and our guest today is one of those people in my life. Uh, he's really like a like a brother to me. We we had the good fortune of getting together prior to the 1974-75 season with the Golden State Warriors. One another dear friend of mine, God rest his soul. Uh, the Hall of Famer, Nate Thurman, uh, a center that I had the good fortune of playing with when I first came into the league, was traded away for a young player from the Chicago Bulls by the name of Clifford Ray. And so he joined our team and he's joining us today. And we're going to have some fun chatting with him, learning a little bit about his life. And I'm sure we'll be able to throw out a few good stories for you, Cyrus, and for all you people listening in. Uh, welcome, Clifford, to the show, who he affectionately, I call him Yo. And I'm going to tell you why we call him Yo, because his name is Clifford Ray, but we called him Yo, because that year we went to training camp in Hawaii, okay? And in Hawaii, Clifford being a single guy, you know, good looking guy at that time, you know, the women kind of gravitate to him. At that time, but he's not now. No, no, not now. <laughs> I'm he's kidding, I'm kidding. He's too I'm kidding. Right now. Now, they still gravitate to him, though. I'm telling you right now, the guy's got some kind of magnetism. I don't know what the hell it is, but he's got something special. <laughs> So now we're walking on the beach you know, in between sessions or whatever, just to go ahead and relax. And he would walk no more than maybe 15 feet at the most. And he'd see some good looking women on the beach and he would go, yo, hun, you know, honey, short for honey, yo, honey. And so we called him Johan. Okay. But I shortened it just to yo, yo, hun. So that's the nickname that he got in training camp back in 1974. And he joined us and he's joining us right now. Time to take a quick break to talk to you about Bet Online, our longtime sponsor. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. And as always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including Online's biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest open now at betonline.ag. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. Take advantage of their opening day super promo, which equals make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager is going to be refunded. Up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using promo code NFL100. BetOnline.ag is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. And of course, you can still bet on the Warriors to win the championship next year. Great odds on that right now, I think. I hope. <laughs> BetOnline, your online sports book experts. 
It's also time to talk to you about another sponsor, Balance 7. So I don't know if you've heard, but apparently former NBA player Lamar Odom may be returning to professional basketball in Spain soon. He's been taking a new product he owes the credit to, and that's Balance 7. Balance 7 is a pH balancing alkaline supplement drink. I know my co-host Rick Barry could certainly use that as well as anyone else looking to improve their physical performance. You can see how Balance 7 has helped. Lamar Odom looked good, celebrity boxing matching with Aaron Carter. Thanks to Balance 7, it helps with wear and tear being a professional athlete. I know Rick Barry and his pickleball could definitely use some Balance 7 for that. Head to Balance7.com and use the code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for free shipping. Balance7.com, that's Balance, the number 7.com, and use the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, that's the network we're on, for free shipping. I did. If it worked for Lamar Odom, it can work for you too. So Clifford, uh, I know you're in Oklahoma, so you're back in your old old stomping grounds, right? When you went to college, you're there with buddy Bobby Campbell, right? Yes, I did. Uh, Bobby was uh, my teammate uh, in, at the University of Oklahoma, and we've been friends uh, about as long as you and I've been friends. And, and uh, so whenever I come to Oklahoma, uh, I spend the time with, his family and my family. And uh, so I'm at my sister's house and uh, all my sisters are doing all kinds of things. My sister uh, uh, just retired 36 years as assistant dean at the University of Oklahoma for all the athletes. And uh, now she's uh, uh, running, helping run the Heritage School, which is uh, the largest private school in in, uh, Oklahoma. And uh, so we've just been going out and, and having some dinners and cooking some dinners. And I've been going to Bobby's and catching about 20 baths a day and crappie and and uh, just having a good time, you know, enjoying it, waiting for my ultimate fishing trip, which is with those three guys and four other ones. And uh, so we're, we're leaving tomorrow at about 12 o'clock and then we'll be heading to... Uh, uh, Anchorage, and then from there to the Katmar uh, Lodge, where we'll be joining the host of your show, uh, and uh, it should be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. We, we try to go at least once a year. We've been doing this for years now, going up to Alaska, but let's get more into into you and, and your life a little bit, Clifford. So tell everybody a little bit about, you know, growing up and how you wound up getting into basketball. Well, I was... Uh, I was on the band, and uh, and uh, one of the coaches, his name was Victor Blue. He, uh, he he approached me and he said, "Would you come to the gym uh, after school? And I'd like to, to meet with you in my office." And so he came. I came, and he talked me into playing basketball. And the reason that I really didn't ever play uh, until my junior year was because when I, the first time that I played basketball and uh, organized, it was probably what the kids call now Little League. But I was, uh, we had a little uh, traveling team that I joined. I wasn't like a start, starter or anything like that. And so uh, I went out, we went to play a team in Spartanburg and I stole the basketball and just 
flew down the court and scored the basket, and I thought, which I thought was the winning basket. Come to find out, I dribbled the wrong way and scored the basket, <laughs> and the other team won the Introduction to basketball. <laughs> oh. oh well, listen. Only you know, it doesn't surprise me, Clifford, because knowing you as well as I do, you have a lot of stories, a lot of stories like that that I'm certainly going to get into in a little while here. But let's let's go back and so now you started to play as a junior. Okay, did you did you start? Tell us a little bit about what happened and how you wound up actually getting offered a scholarship, obviously to the University of Oklahoma and other ones. So tell us a little bit how that happened for a guy who never played that much back in those days. And and how tall were you at those days? Uh, I was about six seven. At that point, at that particular point, I was six seven and about a hundred and. And 60 pounds, 150 pounds, who knows? Wow. And uh, so this guy, Coach Blue, Victor Blue, uh, he just took me in the gym every day and he worked with me and he, you know, taught me how to dribble, you know, just different things. You know, we did two, two, you know, in those days, you know, the, the world was different, you know. And so he, you couldn't, there was no place to really practice. So I used to uh, climb up to the window of the gym and open the gym window. And then in the afternoon, we come in, me and a guy named Lolo Van Pelt. And we would come in and my brother, and we'd have four guys and then we'd play two on two. And that's pretty much how I learned to play. You know, basketball was sneaking in the gym at the high school gym and uh, and just working at in the evenings, and uh, <laughs> so then I got uh, I went out for the team and made the team, and then I started playing. And I don't know, I wasn't, I didn't think I was very good, you know. And but I had another year, so then my senior year, I I, I kind of took off, you know, and and I, I had my first dunk. And up until that time, I couldn't even dunk basketball. And, and uh, so, but I was a high jumper and, and, and you know, I ran track. So I, I, I did the high jump and I also threw the discus and, and the javelin. And so, you know, I, I guess all those things kind of helped me. And then I was in tumbling. And so all those things that I had been doing before I played basketball kind of gave me, a, you know, a jump start. And, and so what happened was they had an all-star game and one of the players got hurt. And so they called our school and I went down to Columbia, South Carolina, which was at Benedict and Allen University is where they had the all-star game. And so that game, I had uh, 26 points and 28 rebounds or something ridiculous. And, <laughs> and uh, so they thought I was the new coming to whatever, but that was just, <laughs> it was just that I was always a, a very aggressive guy. And uh, it was easy for me to get rebounds. And one of the reasons that it was easy for me to get rebounds, I had an uncanny uh, ability to see the envision the ball, where it was going to come or how it was going to come off. Or, or I guess maybe I studied the way guys shot the ball and where their balls careened off of and that kind of thing. So that made it easy for me to rebound. 
Yeah, but don't underplay yourself, first of all, because I don't care where you're playing, who you're playing against, what age you happen to be. Anybody that can garner 28 rebounds is doing a hell of a job. <laughs> Very few people ever get 28 rebounds in any in one particular game. And I didn't even realize that you and I had, had something in common starting out, Clifford. When I was in high school, we used to sneak into the gym as well and just play by the streetlights because, <laughs> because it was wintertime and, and miserable in the wintertime. We'd sneak in the gym. So we had that in common as well. Clifford Ray, my teammate from the championship Golden State Warriors himself, 7475 is joining us here on the Gary Show. And uh, my cohort in the back that you hear, Cyrus Satchis, is with us. And Cyrus, since I've been dominating so far, I'm going to go ahead and turn oh. it over to you. Well, they, they I guess the first thing, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't watch you play, Clifford. I've seen some YouTube clips of you. Your stats are incredible just in terms of defense and rebounding. What you just said about rebounding, though, the, reminded me of Dennis Rodman. And I feel like that's the only other player I've ever heard seen who anticipated the location of where the ball was going to go and who studied other players shots to have an idea as to where the balls were going to go i've never heard of any other player uh say that and and or or, or divulge that do you see a comparison because he was a similar to you in terms of, of being an, an outstanding defense defense defensive player and rebounder um is that the, the player that you think emulates you the most and who you compare it to the most are there similarities there well, he's younger than me, so maybe he emulated me. Hey, way oh, to sorry, go. that's what I meant. Yeah. That's what I meant. Way to go. Thank you, Clever. I deserve that. I, I apologize. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> no, I just do that. I, that. Trust me. I am a huge fan of Dennis Rodman. And, I, and the reason that I'm a huge fan of Dennis Rodman was because he was what I call the, you know, the ultimate uh multiple effort player. He was a guy who was relentless when if he could not secure the, the, the rebound, he kicked it back up as high as he could. And he knew he was a quicker jumper off the floor than most anybody in the NBA at that time. And so that caused him to be able to become, you know, just a dominant rebounder. And there were there were some other guys that were dominant rebounders, but I don't think they had had them effort that he put in as he worked. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the guys that comes to my mind was Elmo Smith uh, from the Lakers, a great rebounder. Uh, you know, Truck Robinson, another great rebounder. Uh, there, there, were, there were guys, you know, Wes Hunsell, we can't forget him. Uh, you know, his, his outlet pass off of a rebound was, was a thing of beauty when he threw it and Earl Monroe stuck his hand up and then started spinning, going to the basket. There was nothing prettier. But so we, you know, Rick and I have witnessed some awesome uh, basketball in our day. And and then also now the young players that are coming up now, there's, I'm really, really happy to see that finally taking the uh, anchors off the back of, of bigs and allowing them to to uh, to hone their their ability to put the ball on the floor to go to the basket, uh, other than just uh, shoot a turnaround jump shot or a dunk or a layup. So it, you know I'm, I'm I'm pleased with that part of the game. I'm not pleased with the the analytic part where uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, hundred eighty shots or forty shots right. or whatever. That part I'm, I'm I'm I don't I don't think that. That's smart basketball at certain yeah. times of basketball. 
All right. Well, let's let's get back to you, though. We're still going to get back. We'll get into a lot of this stuff in a little while as far as your opinion about things that are going on with your experience uh, as a coach for so many years as well. Clifford Ray joining me, Rick Barry here on the Rick Barry Show with Cyrus Satchis. Uh, and Rick, can I jump in real quick? I just wanted to say, you, you know, Clifford, Rick, of all the teammates Rick had in 1975 on the championship team, he talks more about you by a mile than any other teammate. He glowingly raves about you endlessly. I'm so glad we're finally, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, my microphone is off to the side of the camera. Sorry about that. But uh, it's great to finally meet you. And, and Rick, you, I didn't realize that you had like this, this, this dominant of an inside presence helping you. And it explains a lot and, and explains why you're, you're, you've raved about him so much. Uh, so it's just, I just wanted to say that like, like Rick loves you. All he does is talk about your dominance when you were a player. He talks about your amazing teaching and coaching abilities with other bigs. It makes me think, wow, I wish the Warriors would bring you in for James Wiseman, for example, right? Um, and, and that's it. So I just, that's all, right, all we'll, I want get, to say. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. I'm like, I'm his, I'm not his, I try to look out for him. I'm his PR guy. He's you know, Clifford, Clifford kind of, you know, he, he usually doesn't say very much, although in his older age, he's getting like me to get be a crotchety old man and we kind of <laughs> speak up a little bit more. But let, let's get back to him because now he went and all of a sudden he shows up at this all-star game as a senior. And the next thing you know, he's got 26 points and 28 rebounds. And so how many schools came after you then, Clifford? Uh, not very many. Uh, but the one school that did come after me was uh, University of Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And uh, the coach's wife's mother was from Blackwell, South Carolina. And the article was in the Union Daily Times, and they said, you know, talked about what, what she, so she called her, her husband, and she said, hey, there's this guy down here who just scored 28 rebounds. She didn't say how many points. She said, he got 28 rebounds. And she goes, I think you better come see him. <laughs> so he got on the plane, and he came uh, to Union. And, you, you know, my little town, the town that I live in is probably – I don't know. I want to say maybe at that time, probably 1,500 people or so. And the uh, downtown area probably was uh, maybe oh, four or five block, blocks. And uh, so when he came to the town, they, you know, in those days, they did not have film and all that. Who came, who came to see you? Uh, Coach Bud, Bud Cronin. Okay. Mm. And uh, he, he went to Carolina, he went to school down in Carolina in Columbia. And uh, he was the assistant coach and the recruiter for, for uh, Coach John McLeod, who coached many years at Phoenix, coached at Notre Dame, coached at uh, Dallas Mavericks and the New York Knicks. And uh, we always, Garfield Heard and myself, we always feel like that because of the fun, how, how fundamentally sound that we were as, as ball players uh, uh, propelled him into getting an opportunity to coach in the NBA. Okay, so the coach came down to see you and how many other schools uh, you know, offered you? Or did you go visit? Tell us a little bit more how you wound up at Oklahoma at, instead of someplace else. I had all, all of the, uh, I guess you would say the NAIA, uh, you know, all the uh, Greensboro, Winston-Salem, uh, Winston-Salem State, uh, A&T, uh, Allen University, Benedict University, South Carolina State, uh, some Fort Dodge junior, a lot of junior colleges, Spartanburg Tech, uh, 
because all of the junior colleges that were in the East, uh, that were in Carolina area and Georgia and all that, they were pretty much linked to the ACC. So at that particular point in time, the ACC were just kind of getting started uh, recruiting, uh, uh, you know, minority athletes or black athletes. And so uh, they wanted you to go to a junior college so they could observe you and maybe make sure that you could do the workload because it was awful lot to do when you go to uh, college on a full scholarships. So I did not want to do that. So uh, <laughs> first, uh, I said the first team that I, you know, had an opportunity to go to, I was going to uh, uh, take or uh, accept. So I'm sitting at my house after this uh, meeting with Coach Cronin. He had me go to the track, and he uh, he said, "Well, I want you to run a hundred yards." 100-yard dash. So he got down on the other end of the 100-yard dash and had to stop watching. And, you know, we just walked down there from my house. It wasn't that far. And, you know, and so I was sort of loose, I would say. You know, I, was on, I wasn't very old, you know, 17 years old maybe. And uh, so I ran the 100-yard. He looked at his uh, stopwatch. He said, well, I think I must have. Well, he, thought, he thought something was wrong with it. And then he said, you think maybe you could uh, run one more for me? And so I ran it again, and he was like, my God. That's all I heard him say. And then he didn't <laughs> say anything else. And so then he, when we got back to the house, my mom and dad was still was sitting you know, in the living room. He said, if, if your son would like to go to the University of Oklahoma, we'd like to offer him a scholarship. And my mother and father said, well, what type of scholarship would it be? And he said, well, it'll be a full scholarship, you know, and he'll be there, you know, he'll be able to graduate. And, and if he doesn't get it to graduate uh, in the four years, uh, we'll make sure he get his degree because my dad and mom will stick with about that. That's so, smart. That, so that was the deal. And then he left. And so about that Sunday, we were all coming back from church. We were at the house and we had already went to graduation and we graduated. And so my dad, I was sitting in the kitchen with my brother and my dad and my four sisters. And then my dad said, uh, you know, the girls left. And then my dad wanted to talk to me and my brother. And so he said, hey, he said, uh, you know, I just want to know, I'm real proud of you guys. And what do you, you know, uh, what do you plan on doing uh, this summer or, you know, whatever like that. And so my brother had already made plans. He was going in the Air Force, but he had to wait six months. So he had already done the job corps for those six months, and then he would go from there to base, straight to basic training. So my dad looked at both of us, and he said, I just want to let you guys know uh, you got a week, and you need to leave here. <laughs> and so, so my, brother, my brother and I, we had bunk beds. So... Uh, my brother was on top and I was on the bottom. And so he leaned over and he said, what you going to do? Because school don't start until whatever like that. And so I told him, I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get on the phone. I'm going to call, uh, I'm gonna call uh, the school. So I got on the phone the next morning and I got uh, Coach Cronin on the, on the phone. And I said, uh, Coach, I said, uh, 
is there any possibility of me coming out for the summer? And he was like, he thought I was joking. He was like, he said, you're joking, aren't you? I said, no, I'm, I'm not joking. He said, are you sure? I said, yeah. He said, oh, well, yeah, we can we can make it happen. And, you know, that kind of thing, you know. And so uh, he said, well, when were you thinking about coming? I said, Friday. He said, <laughs> Friday. And I was like, yeah. He said, are you sure? I said, yeah, Friday. And so, uh, so anyways, so he said, okay. And he said, uh, just go to the Spartanburg uh, Greenville Airport. And uh, there'll be a ticket there, and, and they'll they'll help you get to uh, to to uh, Oklahoma City. So I got to Oklahoma, and I had my little blue footlocker. I didn't have but one suit, and one uh, pair of shoes, and sneakers, and uh, some and two pair of jeans. So that was in my little blue footlocker. So I get to the you know I was always kind of an independent kid, and so when I got to the airport, I see these two kids. Two white kids, they came right up. They were real friendly and they came up. They go, you must be the new uh, freshman. And, you know, you're going to campus and, you know, they offered me a ride. Well, you know, nobody wasn't out there. So I said, sure. So I, I got, I, I, um, I got in, they had a Mustang. And, you know, the Mustang had a luggage rack on the back. It was a convertible back in those days. Had, you know, the ones that had that rack on the back. So they put my, uh, little blue foot locker on the back of the rack and they told me to sit on the rack, uh, you know, on the back of the seat because I couldn't fit in the back. <laughs> so I'm sitting and they said, we don't have that far to go. And and, and uh, the school, I didn't know, I had never really been to the school. So they took me to the school, dropped me off at the, what, the, what was the athletic dorm. And the lady came in and she said, uh, uh, what is your name? And I said, my name is Clifford Gray. And she just kept looking and she kept looking. And after a few minutes, she said, I'm afraid your name is not on the list. She said, but that really don't mean it a whole lot. She said, let me just call the coach. So she got on the phone and called the coach. And five, five or 10 minutes later, coach shows up. <laughs> and it wasn't Coach McLeod. I mean, it wasn't Coach Cronin. And uh, the guy looks at me and he says, uh, I'm Coach Lemon. He's Abe Lemon. He was coach at Oklahoma City University. He said, uh, I think you're at the wrong university, but if you like it, we can make it happen. Abe <laughs> <laughs> Lemon, this is like one of my favorite stories. His first time going to school, they take him to the wrong college. Oklahoma City with Abe Lemon, who was quite a character. And that doesn't surprise me that Abe Lemon said, well, you're at the wrong place, but you've seen the size and all. He said, if you want to stay, we can try to make that happen for you. <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. And for people who've never been to the, the the OU campus in Norman, by the way, it is a beautiful place. I mean, it's it, they revere Barry Switzer. Uh, I, I don't know if they, like I didn't see the type of statues and plaques for the basketball players, but is is it, is it the same kind of love for basketball too? There, it's a beautiful uh, campus. I mean, yeah, you know when I we were the guys who who uh, who brought about some credibility in basketball. We went to the NIT, played against Pete Maravich, and he wow. scored about fifty points, and won, they won the NIT, and we we were the runner up. Uh, so that was uh, uh, 
the kind of the jump start of the interest in basketball. When I came to school at, at OU, wrestling was bigger than basketball. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, that's they a football were, school. Yeah. No, that's a football school. That's why all the statues yeah. are out there. It's definitely a football school. So Clifford, like you say, you know, kind of like Clifford with me. I mean, Miami was a, was a football school. Mm-hmm. Same type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, he made the mark for him in doing that. And so then he had to do something. And he it was not exactly all uh, sunshine and roses there at the University of Oklahoma for it, was you? Was it for you, Clifford? No, no, it was uh, different, you know, because first of all, uh, I was told that I would be the first freshman to start at the, in uh, Division One basketball at the University of Oklahoma. So I did not know that freshmen, they, the NCAA had, uh, had a, uh, changed the ruling or whatever they did. And the two, two of the rulings was that freshmen couldn't play basketball. We know why that happened. But at the same time... I don't know. I have no idea why. Well, if you think about it, the, the, the influx of the black athlete in basketball who, who dominated basketball. In those days, basketball was a, was a sport, as Rick knows, because Rick grew up in 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 an area of New Jersey and played in the parks. And he, why he, one of the things that his father would always say that you know he would take him over and dump him out over in the black section of, of town, and Rick had to play and fend his way, and 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 he he it was probably. Uh, one of those things that helped him tremendously in his career, even though he was always a gifted player. And mm-hmm. so what when the NCAA changed a lot, two rules they changed. That was one of them. One, the other one was widening the lane. And, and then the other one was no dunk. And uh, a dunk is a weapon just like shot blocking, just like uh, – Hook shots, yes. uh, any other specialty shot in the game of basketball. But being that most, you, you now have athletes like his son won the dunk contest. Yes. So it, it's that, it, it does, it's just that there were just more players that could jump higher in those days. And I just feel like they don't talk about this, but I want to say this, and I'm not saying this because it, it pisses me off or anything like that. I just would like to, to, to them to own up to the fact that they slowed the progress of the black athlete in Division One basketball. So dunking was not allowed for a number of yeah. years in college. Yeah, and it's actually you Kareem know. Abdul-Jabbar because you of him. You got a technical foul if you dunked. You didn't know that, and Cyrus? I had no idea. And, and you're telling me the reason why is because they were, they were trying to impede the progress of black athletes? Because yeah, well, When they got to play the athletes like Kareem and some of these guys that did some stuff, they stopped the dunk for for a number of years. Yeah, they stopped it, and they won't. Even, they don't even act like it never happened. Yeah, that, that, that doesn't surprise me. But so I'm why were I'm gonna be? I'm gonna go on record. I am not a big fan of the NCAA. Well, who is these days, right? But but, but I mean, they're a blatantly corrupt organization. But what was the freshman rule? Why why were freshmen not allowed to play? You, boy, I've, been to get, I've been trying to get the answer for that for the seventy something years. Wow, that's yeah. That's well, I, that was me, Cyrus. I couldn't play as a friend. I played on the I played on the thing called Miami Dispatch, and we played before the games, the varsity games, 
And but we, as a freshman, you were not allowed to play on the varsity team. I think it was put in there because they wanted to say, hey, you got to come to school. You got to get adjusted to do it. It wasn't like you couldn't play basketball, but you couldn't play on the varsity. So I think it was put in mainly to try to let you have a year to get adjusted to doing stuff, going to class. You know, they're going to candy coat it, but we all know what it was all about. I I still don't. Cliff, just spell it out, please. I'm just saying that, though, if if. If they let freshmen play, then the players, a lot of players who were good basketball players, were going to lose their jobs to freshman uh, black athletes. I see. The dumb, at, at that particular time, the, you know, the sport was dominated. I mean, Rick Barry is still one of the greatest white players to ever play this game. Yeah. So that tells you how many great players. Now there's a lot more great players that are coming from Europe and coming from America. Guys, like I said, his son can dunk all his boys. Well, his baby, <laughs> boy, his baby boy got hops. And so did, <laughs> so did the other kid. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I'm just saying that in those days, a lot of kids were going to lose their jobs. And I, I just think that the, the NCAA felt that it would hurt attendance because it was all about making money for them. Still is. Yeah, the NCAA to me is just a a very wretched, corrupt organization. That's just my opinion on it, but it doesn't surprise me what you're saying. That's that's insane. And by the way, I would like to add, Rick, with the exception, who... You and Larry Bird to me are the two greatest white players easily. Jerry, don't forget Jerry West. Don't forget. Jerry. Oh yeah, yeah, was, Jerry West. Yeah, but well, I still think all, the you- game was dominated. Listen, I didn't. I never played against a black player growing up. Okay, there were no black players. I played. It was all white players, and so well, that's, not, I that's, played not, the that's not what the. That's not what the. That's not what the. What what the the in the black community. That's not what the black community thinks. Mm. I played against the black. I played against blacks at the playground all the time. But that's, when what I'm saying. that's, that's my point. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I'm saying that in you, he is in, in, in my community in South Carolina or anywhere from Columbia, Georgia. I don't care where you call. If I walked into an area and called Rick Barry's name, they go, oh, he's the best white player ever played this game. <laughs> yeah. They all say it. Everybody. They they and there's nobody. I get I guarantee if I ask 10 guys that love basketball, his name is gonna be a monster. Uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Well, anyway, so <laughs> Rick doesn't uh, like compliments. We got, we got Clifford, <laughs> he finally got to play, but I'm just telling you about, I mean, the stuff that Clifford went through when he was in college and stuff as a black player, when blacks were just starting to finally be a part of what the basketball world was all about. He had a lot of things he had to deal with. So, so tell us some of the interesting things that you had to go through Clifford, because uh, I've heard these stories before and they're pretty, pretty unbelievable. So yeah, throw out a couple of your favorites. Uh, well, I, my favorites, I don't have favorite bad stories. <laughs> No, I, I would have to say, ooh, well, you couldn't wear hats. You could not wear sunglasses. You could not have a mustache. You had to cut your hair, they call it cavatis, very short. And you couldn't look radical. And you couldn't wear jeans and no T-shirts. And so I didn't mind that. 
I did not mind that. But why would not, if they wanted everybody to look and represent the University of Oklahoma or the uni University of Miami or the University of Tulsa or the University of Stillwater, then why wouldn't the NCAA allow each player that was on a full scholarship, knowing that all of these kids, a lot of them are from single parent homes, some of them didn't have no money, uh, no clothes, and you should not have to walk amongst, uh, be at an all white school where, where you are a minority, uh, truly a minority, mm -hmm. and you feel like uh, you don't feel uh, comfortable. You're, you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're cowering through, or either you make out yourself to be like a, uh, you know, a crack jokes or make, you know, when someone would say something about your pants flooding, you just dismissed it and clowned around so that people didn't know how bad you felt. So why wouldn't it not the university? Nobody, I didn't want them to give me no money. I don't need no bag full of money, but it would have been nice for me to have a blazer that said the University of Oklahoma athletic, uh, athlete, student athlete, or uh, a polo shirt, student athlete with Oklahoma University, or uh, pair of nice sneakers, or a pair of nice walking loafers like all the other kids wore loafers and all that time. Although I probably wouldn't have been able to wear them because I wore size 16. So those, <laughs> are the kind of, those are the things that I felt like that we should have had the opportunity to feel like a, a student instead of me cowering around and having bad posture because I'm embarrassed. Mm. And the other thing was, is there were, there was a lot of race uh, things wherein that you were brought in and told that if you get a girl pregnant, that he was going to lose his job and you were going to get sent home. Oh. Uh, you weren't, uh, you, you know, just, just, you, you weren't allowed to be on the street after 11 o'clock or, or, or a couple of, one time we spent the night in a, uh, in a, in a covert, you know, one of those round things that the water go through and the, we were coming home from a party and it was past 11 and the police saw us, the normal police saw us. So we ducked in the thing and we stayed in that thing until daybreak and ran home. <laughs> so you know things like that uh also uh we did we had to fend for ourselves on the, on the, uh so we didn't get we didn't get a meal on sundays because the help had to have had to be off a day so they didn't give us any money to get anything to eat we just had to we had people in the community that were really good to us not everybody but there were people that were good to us you know and and um uh, I, I always have have appreciated the people. You know, uh, there are people like Bobby's family. Uh, you know, he's he's been a, a, a true friend uh, through my whole life uh, at Oklahoma. Uh, there was Coach Thurman. Uh, there were several people that helped when I quit the basketball team. Um, there was a man that came, Dr. Henderson. Uh, they called and he said, "Did you want? Did I want to play at the University of Oklahoma?" And I said, "That was the reason I came here, and I, I, I definitely want to play at the University of Oklahoma." And so then they told me that just to, you know, do what they, they asked me to do, and and don't worry about it. And so when I came back to the team, 
they had a big meeting and they had the whole team there and they was voting for the captain. Now I had just put the team last two games of the season and uh, and they they voted me the captain of the team. So uh, my coach didn't know what to think about that. So what he did was he named a co-captain. Oh. So, you know, there were a lot of things that I had to deal with. But you know what? Nothing that I went through that I was not already had, that I had not already been indoctrinated because I was from a segregated town in Union, South Carolina. Although the people in Union, South Carolina, I would rather have been around those people than to be around people who treat you nice, but they 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 don't. They're not they genuine. Don't really, yeah, They're not genuine. phonies. Yeah. 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 So, anyway, I, I, so Clifford Ray's joining us here in the Rick Barry Show, uh, along with my cohort Cyrus Satchis. Uh, and so now you got to play at the University of Oklahoma. You got your scholarship. You have all these crazy rules and things you have to do. You know, you can't be dating white girls and that kind of stuff. And and then it wasn't exactly the greatest thing ever as far as the basketball goes. So just be honest about this, Clifford. We've talked about it before. How much do you think you were held back from being the kind of player you could have been by the coaching staff at the University of Oklahoma? Oh, I mean, gosh, I, I probably played 20 something, I don't know, maybe 22, 23 minutes a game. Uh, I probably could have led the nation and rebounded easily. Uh, but I was told that they couldn't, he didn't want. A, a star. He did. He, he he didn't say I don't want a black star. He just mm -hmm. said he didn't want a star. And so, you know, he told me he was going to play. First, he said he was going to start John, who was one of my teammates, and John was a really nice young man. I loved him. Definitely, my people lived across the hall from me, and his father was a very wealthy guy. So was. Uh, Scott Martin, who was uh, our point guard, he, his father was the chairman on the board, Philip 66, and uh, we flew on his plane to go play our games. Wow. So, you know, so John's dad built, uh, rebuilt our locker rooms where we all had plush, beautiful locker room with that maroon and white and the big old huge sticker and uh, 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 logo in the middle of the floor and new showers and all that. So when coach told me that he was going to start John Ewell, and I told him, I said, look, coach, I just want to tell you something. I'm a team player, and all I'm about is winning. And I said, if you want to play John Ewell, start John Ewell, whatever you want to do, and however minutes you give me, I'm going to get my work done in those minutes. So but I don't want you to insult me and say that he's better than me because you know that's not true. And so, you know, I always spoke my mind, which probably got me in a lot of problems, a lot of trouble, because they would always write in Streets and Smith, say, well, OU's, uh, 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 what OU does has to do with his temperamental center, Clifford Ray. And then they would say in the other breath, they would say, uh, centers that you could win a championship with and centers that you had no chance to win a championship with. And they had me, Clifford Ray, listed as a center that 
you had no chance to win a championship. I never forgot it. I used oh. it as fuel to go through my life. And I tried to win as many championships as I could. And I got to win the championship with Rick Barry and my teammates. And we were all a part of it. There was no individual. Rick Barry was our star. And whenever he got tired, I got him over. And I, <laughs> I said, you know, don't worry about it. If he was shooting bad and he, you know, Rick was a perfectionist. And so if he had a bad off night or something like that, I would tell him, I'd go, hey, look, keep shooting. I'll get you over. You know, and 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 uh, and I I got on my other teammates because I would say this is a team sport. You can't do what he can do. You think you can do what he can do, but you can't do what he can do. And nobody ever told people. No, see, people don't tell people what what the truth. You have to be able to admit the truth. I couldn't do what he did, although I averaged twenty four points a game in high school. But I I, I knew where I was coming to. I had scholarships to a, a school and the black head coach at that black school told me not to come to his school. He said, don't go to any of these schools. I want you to go whatever, whatever division one university, whether it's Oklahoma, Duke, whoever, he said, you go because you could be an inspiration to all these kids in Union, South Carolina that don't think they can ever get out of here. And you could be an inspiration to them. And he said, I want you to promise me that you would do that. And that's how I wound up at the University of Oklahoma. So I, I, I really think college athletes today should hear these stories just to remind them that not to take it what they're dealing with for granted today. I mean, that's it's it's I'm very happy times have changed. Clearly, there's a lot of progress that still needs to be made, but it doesn't sound as shitty now as it did back then. You know, hey, I, think, I Cyrus, let me tell you something. I've told you before, and I've told Clifford this. <clears throat> I have really thought very seriously over the years because I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of guys and you hear all these stories about the wonderful things and what these coaches did for players and how great they are and everything. Let me tell you something. A lot of it's bullshit. Okay. And, and, and there's a lot of it out there that the guys had to go through stuff that Clifford had to go through and a whole bunch of other guys and the coaches did not do a lot of players, a lot of favors and a documentary having these guys coming up and talking about the experience they had in college and the way that they were treated, it's not going to be this all rosy picture that everybody thinks about. Okay. Right. And so, and it's really unfortunate, but I think that story someday should come out so that people have this perception of, Oh, wow. If you went to this school or that school, whatever, I mean, this guy is great. Cause you do hear guys talking about wonderful people like, you know, John Wooden. I mean, the stories I hear from Jamal and from Bill Walton and everybody yeah. about John Wooden. I had to, I got to meet John Wooden. I mean, you know, this is a guy that what was said about him is really true, but a lot of the other stuff that you hear about some of these other coaches and things about that nature and some other ones that, you know, aren't the, maybe as big a name and all. I mean, the way that they treated some of their players is reprehensible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely reprehensible. So anyway, that's that's for another topic for another discussion. Yeah, so yeah. listen, now you're playing there. You know that you can do more than that you're being allowed to do. And it finally comes down. You're done with your career. And how did you hear about you getting drafted by the Bulls? Well, I, uh, I was in my dorm. And uh, they called me and said, I come over to his office. So I came to his office, and Pat Williams, who was general manager for the Chicago Bulls, was in his office, and they had a contract. And the contract was uh, a three year contract 
13, uh, 15, and 21,000. I think that's what it was. Okay. And, and they wanted me to sign it. And when I looked at the coach and I looked at uh, Pat Williams, and I said, I made that much money when I was in high school. <laughs> and I, I said, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to play for you, but I'm not going to sign a contract, and I will just sign whatever it is that you want to, me to sign that first year, which was, uh, I think, it wind up to be about thirteen or 14000 And they gave me a $2,500 bonus, and they gave me a, a letter that I could finish my degree at the University of Oklahoma. And John asked the, uh, uh, asked the uh, um, Pat Williams to leave the room. Could he leave the room so he could talk with me? And then he told me that that was more money than I would that I'd seen in my life, and said, "Coach, that's not true." <laughs> I, said, I said, "Coach, I said I don't think you understand." When I said what I said, I meant it. I go, I was running a country club in Union, South Carolina, when I left to go to college, and the reason I left that job, and the guy offered me twenty-one thousand dollars to stay and not go to college, and I said, I, I, I told, I turned him down. He cursed me. I called me every nigger in the book. And, and so I, I just, you know, I told him, I said, look, this is not personal. I just would like to see what the rest of the world looks like. Mm -hmm. And I also would like to get an education, not because I was so gung-ho about going to school and getting a college education, but I wanted to do something for my mother and father who had bust their hump with six kids and they didn't talk about nothing but education. That's why I didn't play basketball until I was a junior. Because my dad said he didn't want to have any dummies. And so he he I felt like I owed that to them. And so that was my motivation to go to school in the first place. And so when I told Coach that, I told him, I said, Coach, I said, you know, I went to college all this these years. First of all, I was disappointed that they lied to me and told me I was going to place do something and it didn't happen. And they knew that it wasn't nobody was playing freshman ball. But I didn't know that. I was from some little podunk town. I never even heard of the NCAA. <laughs> so, so now I'm sitting here and I'm going to school for four years. I, I finally graduated, got my degree, and and I, I'm I'm being told that this is what the, you know. I'm reading Ebony and all this and. And all the stuff that they was talking about was all lies. You know, it was all propaganda about the NBA. They were saying that, you know, this is, you know, you're going to be driving whatever. I was never into driving fancy cars or whatever anyways. So, but, you know, I, I was wanting to make this money, uh, some money, because I wanted to buy my mother and father and the four sisters that I had left who were at the University of Oklahoma. They weren't there yet. It was in high school. And I wanted them to be able to go to college. And so that was my motivation for all of this. And so when that didn't happen, I made it happen. I, I, I took, I made $17,000 when you talk about 
uh, well, it was 17, 18, 19, to 2,500. I saved enough money to put a down payment on a house in, in Norman, Oklahoma for my mother and father and my four sisters. Don't ask me how I did it, but I did it. Is that why you're there now? Well, that's why I'm still in Norman. My sister got, all my sisters got to go to school. All of them got masters. They, they smarter than me. <laughs> they, they all got masters degrees. Well, and also your brother had a very, very outstanding uh, long career in the, uh, in the Air Force as well. Oh, yeah. My brother is, uh, he's Radar. You know who Radar is? Yes, from Ash. Okay. He's the man that makes things happen. Yeah. Okay. And, and <laughs> was Master Sergeant Killer. They call his name was Kilpatrick Ray, but the colonel and the generals called him Killer. And he and he he made things happen. He he got all kind of commendation. He was uh, in charge of maintaining the uh, B fifty. Oh, you muted yourself. No, no, hold on. Let me see if I can. Oh, there you go. Was his job, the main, you know, the main, make sure that all the engines and everything, you know, all the transporter planes. And they sent him all over the world. He went to Augsburg, Australia, um, you know, China. I mean, he was everywhere. He went everywhere. <laughs> and uh, so he, he stayed, uh, you know, I have a, really have a military family. I have two sisters and one and my, 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 all my sisters, one was in the uh, National Guard and the other three, one was in the Army and the other two was in the Air Force. Wow. And my brother was in the Air Force. And so we, we were, my dad was in the Navy. So we, are, we were as much a part of this country and mm -hmm. taking care of this country and believing in this country. And I will yes, tell you, I will tell anybody to their face, the worst mistake that our country made was taking ROTC out of school, making it yeah. mandatory. That was the worst thing they ever did. Because see, when you was in ROTC, you learn how to take orders. You learn how to do what your superiors asked you to do. So if you didn't happen to have good, good, only you had a grandmother or an aunt or somebody and you was a single parent and you didn't have a father who would discipline you or whatever, then ROTC took that place. And so when they stopped making ROTC mandatory, that was a big, big mistake on this country. I didn't. Oh, it was mandatory. I see. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, uh, if, if you don't mind, Rick, uh, me asking this and, and changing the subject entirely, um, only because with every guest, uh, Clifford, do you, do you prefer Clifford or Cliff? I, I feel bad if I call you Cliff, unless that's OK. Most people, call me, uh, people that know me call me, yo, people that uh, <laughs> uh, most people call me coach. Uh, Co coach. OK. I, I so with every guest we get, we obviously do our research. And one thing I I blew my mind when I saw this story. Uh, in 1978, this year was born, there was a Marine World Africa in Redwood City, which I did not know existed. I mean, I know Redwood City exists. I didn't know they had a Marine World Africa there. I don't know when they shut that down. And you saved a dolphin. Could you please share the story of how you saved the dolphin's life at Marine World Africa in Redwood City? Uh, well, I had gotten hurt. And the team was in Washington, D.C., going to be playing that, that uh, next night. And I had 
torn my plantaris muscle, which is the yeah. back of your calf. And so I was just ready to join the team again. So I was getting ready to fly out to uh, Washington. And um, a friend of mine that I knew was the public relations director at Marine World Africa USA, which was a, uh, a it, was, it was like SeaWorld. It's basically okay. it was SeaWorld. It was like SeaWorld. And they had SeaWorld in San Diego. They had it in all, uh, Disney uh, down in Orlando. There, there's uh, San Antonio has a SeaWorld. They all have Shamu and the, <laughs> yeah. in the show. So the show dolphin, the star show dolphin was called Dr. Spock. And <laughs> okay. so they was cleaning his cake, his uh, cake, well, they all live in these big tanks, you know, mm -hmm. that you can see through with glass. And so every, usually they clean them once a week or whatever. And what they do is they vacuum. They they vacuum the windows and vacuum the floor and that that, that keeps the water uh, and the salt water. So they, they, you know, it's, it's a process. So one of the boats from the uh, vacuum vibrated off and trickled down in the water. And, you know, being a fish, he's looking at that silver object as a, as a, uh, a minnow, a bait. And he just, whoosh, and just, it was gone. That's it. <laughs> so, so the dolphin saw this bolt, there's a screw and just ate it. Yeah. They swallowed it. Yeah. Okay. If you think about it, when you go fishing, what do you use? You use artificial lures. Yeah. A lot of them are silver. Some of them are chartreuse. Some of them are different colors. But the silver color represents, you know, uh, uh, anchovy, uh, any yes. kind of big fish. Sardines, yeah. Sardine, whatever. So that that's what he saw. And so he ate it. And then they freaked out because <laughs> it, it was, it was uh, you know, they knew that it was pointed. And the dolphin swims like what? Like that. You know, so as he, and every time he's bowls and go off in a, you know, they're real fast. And so if that point of that screw punctured any part of his line, it was going to kill it. Oh. So it was, a, you know, that was a big deal because this dolphin was a main attraction. And uh, so they call uh, uh, they called to the Los Angeles Zoo, which is the famous veterinarian. I forget his name. He's still probably down there. Uh -huh. uh, he was the head of the Los Angeles uh, uh, Aquarium and Zoo, and 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 he he had they, he said, "Well, you guys have triceps." Uh, so they went. To, they got to that. They tried that. Didn't work. Wasn't long enough. So they didn't know what to do. So the public relations girl, her name was Mary O'Heron. She says, I had a friend and he's got the longest reach, one of the longest reaches in the NBA. And they called, they, she said, he's about to leave to go to Washington. Uh, she said, they, they called and they called the, the Warriors or whatever they did. But anyways, they got me off that. I didn't never get to the plane. There was a limo out there, and they picked me up at the, at the door in the airport, <laughs> and, and they zipped me down to uh, to uh, Redwood City, where where Marine World was 
was at at that time. And uh, and then I came in. They gave me scrubs, and then they put you know scrubbed my arm all the way up to my neck. And uh, and then they, the guy had was on uh, the doctor from the Los Angeles Zoo was on the uh, intercom above in the uh, in the operating room. And he said, this is what you're going to experience. And he said, I'm going to walk you through all this. And he told me how many minutes uh, I had two minutes or something like that. I forget how many minutes it was to, to enter his mouth and go down his throat and go through the first stomach and the second stomach. And that was probably where the boat was going to, where, where, where the last place to go to. And then it gets broken down if it's, you know, if it was a fish or whatever. So anyway, so I did it, and I put my arm down. And I got through the first stomach, got through the second stomach, and then they were starting to say, "Well, you're almost by, out of town." By the time they said I was almost out of town, time, I, I felt the boat. I turned it around, put the sharp uh, edge inside of my palm so that it, it protected when I pulled it out. Uh-huh. And they told me that when I pulled it out, it was the the, the, the uh, Doctor Spock was going to regurgitate, and so at this at this particular point, there was probably a hundred photographers and news people and all. You know, it was a huge uh, uh, news thing, uh-huh. and uh, and so I just pulled the thing out and stood to the side. And he regurgitated on all these people. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> it missed you. Oh yeah, I, I was on. They told me they didn't know. <laughs> so, oh my god! So you know, guys like Art Spender and yes, and and, uh, and uh, Herb Kane and yes. you know all the all the big writers were there. You know, so and and the thing went today. They would call it. They would say it went viral. I yes. tell people. I tell people that. Everybody, every human being in the world has about five or ten minutes of fame. <laughs> yeah. That was my 15 minutes of fame. You mean besides winning a championship and all your accolades in the NBA? Yes, absolutely. But, but I, did, <laughs> I, was, I was with a team. That was an individual thing. True. And, True. you know, I'm saying that, you know, I can't take credit for a championship. My teammates and we, we made that possible. And, and, and that's why it's so hard to win championships because if you don't have that mindset, you're probably never going to win. Mm. Well, hey, Clifford. So Clifford Ray joining us here on the Rick Barry Show with Cyrus Satchis, uh, my dear friend of uh, many, many years, my fishing buddy. We're getting ready to go up to Alaska and do some fishing uh, here shortly. Yeah. And, but let's, we have so much to talk about. So I think what we'd want to do is I, I just want to go ahead and, and take you to the point because otherwise we could be on forever and we'll just have to have you back on and we'll have another segment with you and talk about all your coaching experiences. But let's finish yeah. it off with how did you feel when you got the word that you joined Chicago doing it and all of a sudden you were now being traded to the Golden State Warriors? Well, I felt bad. Uh, I... I, I only thing that I was excited about was all my people, the kids that I grew up with in, in South Carolina, they go, man, you're going to be playing with a bad dude. 
<laughs> and, and, you know, I hadn't really seen him play that much, really, because they were on the West Coast and we were, you know, and, and he was hurt. I think my freshman year, he didn't play when I came, because I think he had just came off a knee surgery or something. I'm not sure, but I didn't remember him. Uh, I knew I knew about him in college because I, I read Sports Illustrated and uh, they were talking about this player, you know, this, this, they called him, they call him the road runner. And uh, Miami Greyhound, Miami yeah. Greyhound. Well, we call you the road runner because they say, <laughs> you know, well, and, hell, uh, if, I, if I had known that, I would have worked on, I would have worked on my beep beep. <laughs> <laughs> We, we would be on, on the playground or at the gym in high school and, you know, my senior year and, you know, the, the guys were, you know, it was, it was really funny because here's all these black kids playing basketball and there's always one guy that was Rick back. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it was, it was hilarious. And uh, so to make a long story short, so that's what happened. And, and uh, I don't know, you know, I felt, I mean, I, I was, I was pretty, uh, you know, I was, I was on fishing. I was fishing in Milwaukee on a, on a river there. And there was this old man that was, that had a rate of, you know how they, in those days they had the big boom box. That's what they had. And he had a big box and he was listening to, uh, Jack Brickhouse. That's who. Oh, yeah. He was listening to Jack Brickhouse show and they were saying, they called me Stingray. And they said, sad day in Chicago. He, he was a huge fan of mine. And he, he, he said, this is a sad day. And I think Coach Mata and uh, the Bull organization have made a big, big mistake. And he went on and on and on. And I'm sitting there. That's how I found out. And I'm sitting there. And and I'm I'm out there fishing, and so I finally I I said I guess I better get back to civilization. So I picked up my pole <laughs> uh, and and my bait and all my stuff, and I had a few fish. So I, I, get, I asked the, the old fella, I said, you know, would you like some fish? He said, you gonna give me those fish? I said, yeah. And then so when when I was when I rolled up my poles and and I, I had packed up everything, and I was getting ready to leave. And he said, good luck, son, out there. He goes, you're going to be great. I almost cried, you know, because it was, uh, it, you know, it was kind of like, I looked forward to, uh, no, I knew who I was going to play with. And I looked forward to that. But it was kind of sad, you know, because I, I, I was a rookie. And I, those guys, they took me under my wing, you know, mm -hmm. under their wings, you know, Jerry Sloan. Good you know, people, Clifford. Clifford, you had some great teammates there, Jerry Sloan and Norm Van Leer. I mean, yeah. and, you know, Chet Walker. I mean, you had some really good guys, good players. Yeah. And they, they were great guys. Jim King, uh, Jimmy Collins, uh, Howard Porter, Kennedy McIntosh. Uh, you know, so it, we had a we had a, a, a neat team, you know, and, we won 55 to 57 games every year. And, uh, you know, it, it was just, it was, it was, they, they were my blanket, you know, they, they were the ones that allowed me to grow as a pro because I didn't have to worry about whenever I got off to a shaky start, I was coming off the bench. Uh, Bullwinkle was the starting center. And uh, then we had Dennis Autry, who was from uh, Santa, Santa Clara. 
before that was Jim Fox was on the team, but they traded him to uh, Phoenix Suns and uh, to, with Neil Walk. And, and so I, I just had a, a real, uh, you know, love for, for, the, for the team because of what they had done for me. You know, they looked out for me. They kept coach off of my butt. You know, Norm would jump coach and so would Sloan and say, hey, we have not had this kind of defense in so many years. And they go, you know, we got to give him a break. You know, and, and, and but see what it was, you know, coach had, he didn't, he, he was convinced that he could never win a championship unless he had a Nate Thurman or Will Chamber. Mm-hmm. And when he had the opportunity to get Nate Thurman, he felt like if he had Nate Thurman with Chet Walker, Bob Love, Jerry Sloan, uh, Norm Van Leer, Howard Porter, and that crew, Jackie Dinkins, he felt like he could, he could uh, win the championship. And he did. He got all the way to the finals. He got to the Midwestern Divisional Finals. And uh, but he 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 met he met the he met the Warriors. <laughs> and uh, so you know, I, even though I we beat them in seven games, and it were the, the playoff, the championship playoff was was the Chicago Bulls. It wasn't the Washington Bullets. Oh, the, the, okay. When we when we beat the the Chicago Bulls. I knew we were gonna win the championship. Wow. And uh so wow. I, I just you know, I mean, because we 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 went and took a game. We took a game on their floor. And and uh so you know, I knew that 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 was gonna be the thing and 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 so we went on and and but when we won. I just, you know, it, it was a bittersweet, you know, I was thrilled because I had the greatest teammates in the world, really. I, I'll tell anybody, it, you know, I've been on more than one championship team. I was on the Boston Celtics with Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, Rondo, uh, uh, Perkins, uh, and those guys, you know, they were, they were a, a good group, a good team, but they were not as close as a group as we were. Mm. You know, I, 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 I could see how uh, the teams, you could see the teams that win. Look at Milwaukee this year. Look at, look at uh, Phoenix getting to the final. You know, they just, they just didn't have me. If I would have had an opportunity <sighs> to work with uh, the little kid that was the center, I would have never left him on an island by himself. And he, it was just two little, two little, things to, to adjust so that, you know, the, the Greek kid is a great, great basketball player. Don't get it twisted. He's a handful, but he's predictable. And you can't play him to the right or to the left. You got to turn him into your teeth of your defense and, and help and help has to come or help has to be there. You can't wait till he put the ball on the floor to defend him yeah. as a big, you got to take a take a chance and get up and crown him, and then know that you're turning them to the teeth of the defense. And now you're going to get that help. Well, they left him on the island by himself, and yeah. that's when he, he got his heart took away from him because that kid <laughs> went at it. And so that that's the difference. Those are the things that you that I got as a center going to 
the team that I went to starting out my career with Chicago Bulls and then continuing on to a team that was a total team. Like everybody was on the same page. Everybody played their role. Everybody did what they were supposed to do. And so that, and we, we cared about each other. So that was easy. Mm -hmm. That, you know, it was easy. And then next, the following year, you know, it's like I always say, you have to maintain that. Before we let, I know we've had you for so long, as Rick just said a moment ago, but I have to ask this, speaking of young big men, um, and Rick, by the way, always talks about how you're, you're such an expert when it comes to coaching big men. Um, what do you think of James Wiseman? I don't know how much, how much you follow the Warriors, uh, your old championship team these days, but they, they drafted this kid, tremendous potential, would love, and I'm sure Dub Nation feels the same way, we would love your insights on whether or not the Warriors drafted someone that could be great. I, I think that if he gets the right toolish, I think he could be great. He's got a he's explosive. He got a quick first step. He, every, all these young kids know how to play offense. I mean, you look at Embiid, you look at all these different players, Yoki, you look at uh, uh, the kid from uh, uh, in Portland, uh, you look at the kid in in, in Utah. Uh, you you know, I could go on and on. All these big kids. But what they got to realize is that they got to, I always used to teach when I, when I taught, I would always say, you got to have the mother hen syndrome. And that is when trouble starts or when trouble starts to brew, you got to spread your wings and hustle all your little chicks underneath you. <laughs> okay. And that's, that's the, the mentality that a center has to have. You got to not think about that. I'm going to get dunked on or, or, or that's one thing I liked about Jerry Sloan. Uh, you know, I, I lost my teammate, my roommate, uh, just a, just a stand up guy um, that I played with. And he actually called me to say goodbye. That's what kind of cat he was, you know? And then a week, a few days later, he was gone. And I'm telling you, you know, like that, he was unbelievable. He would tell, he, he called me Big Dad. Most of them called me Stingray or Mule Skinner or whatever. I had more nicknames than you could shake a stick at <laughs> when I was in Chicago. But he, he always called me Big Dad. And he said, Big Dad, I know you can guard any guard in this league. He said, but what I want you to do is I want you to remember one thing. As long as you're on my basketball team, Nobody will ever dump on you because when you take my man, I got it. I will take his ass out of bounds. And he and you know what? He lived it and he did it. He did not ever walk away from big that I switched out on, on him. And so consequently, we didn't have to trick up the defense because I could guard guards. And so he 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 would just, you know, he just did his job. Norm did his job, you know, it was, it was fun. And it was the same way in, in Golden State. You know, I had one of the best shot blockers in the game, never got any credit for it. And that was George Johnson. And, and together, together, we had just as good a stats as Kareem or any other big time center, Lanier, any of those guys. We had just as good a stats. And, and I didn't mind playing alongside of him. And if he played better than me that particular night, I would tell coach, don't put me back in. He's he's handling this game. 
this is his game. And that's how we, we Rick was the same way. If the young guys were playing good and he was stinking up the joint or whatever, we always say stinking. Rick always says stinking up the joint. But anyway, <laughs> we weren't playing well. Then you know we 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 made coach aware that he didn't have to kiss our ass. Mm-hmm. So you know, hey, Clifford, all you had to do is look at Game Seven, Chicago at right. home in right. the Western Conference Finals. Two guys on the bench standing up, cheering for their teammates. When George was in the game, blocking everything, it was Clifford Ray and me because I stunk and Al had me on the bench. And we were there rooting for our teammates. And that's what was so special about our team. We didn't care who was getting the job done as long as the job was getting done. And they were the two-headed monster. I kept telling people that. Their rebound totals, their point totals, block shots, the things that they could do, the diversity that we had. We had 12 fouls to play with. And as Clifford said, I have not seen a center Maybe, you know, Dave Cowens is pretty good as far as being quick and stuff and everything, who would jump screens with guards, come off of that and jump out and get down and quick enough to go and contain a guard. And Clifford did that as well as anybody's ever done it in the history of the game. Mm. Bravo. So, and one last question about before you did this, that when you knew you were coming to Golden State and doing it, was the thought that said that was good for you, uh, having having to leave the guys that you like so much and who helped you so much, did you realize that you knew then that you were going to have a chance to be a starter on a team instead of coming off the bench? Yeah. Yeah. I, I knew, I knew that I knew that I had big shoes to fill and I was really concerned about that, and, <laughs> uh, you know, and, but then you kind of helped me because you met me when I first came there and uh, just the way you were and how, how positive you were, and he he told me he said as great as Nate is, you know you do some things that that gonna really help us, you know because if I make a pass to you, I know you're gonna dunk, and you know and he said I gotta get Nate pissed off before he dunks on anybody, <laughs> you know and then I, I I had such great respect for Nate Thurman, and I I just wanted to do well because of him because of what he had done at Golden State. And I just want, I didn't want to be a bust. And so I was, you know, determined to be ready, you know, and I, and, and, and the fact that they all embraced me, nobody was, you know, because Rick and Nate were great friends and to the, to the day he died, you know, and, 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 and the fact, and the fact that they both, even Nate, he had a restaurant. He told me anytime I needed to get something to eat, to come to the beginning, and that the was barbecue. And so, no, no, he had another restaurant before that. Oh, before Nate's barbecue. No, before Big Nate's barbecue, he had an actual restaurant. Yeah, he had a restaurant called The Beginning. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was on Fillmore Street, and and so you know it was a very popular restaurant. People came, you know, and and uh, you know, so he was he was always a very he and Will Chamberlain were. My, I feel like as a big man, they always gave me something to work on when I would play against them. They would always tell me something positive, you know, that I did. And my, my best uh, playoff performance uh, was against uh, Will Chain when I averaged double-doubles at my rookie year. And that, that kind of got me going in the NBA. 
you know, it didn't make me no money, but you know, it still, <laughs> it still propelled me to do something that was a, a goal. Mm-hmm. After they told me I couldn't play in the NBA, I was determined to go because I, I was drafted in the first round in the, in the uh, ABA. I was drafted by the Virginia Squires where Dr. J was playing. So I could have went and played alongside the Dr. J, but all my, like I told you, my teammates, I mean, not my teammates, but my, my fam, the people in, I call the people in South Carolina, the people I grew up with, uh, my family, uh, they all told me, you go play with that boy, Rick Barry. (laughs) (laughs) They knew more about him than I did. So I said, well, If they know what they talk about, because they all love basketball, you know, if my brother, he, he don't miss a game. My brother had the most lethal hook shot in, in all of my, in all the school district. They used to call him hook shot Ray. And he, I mean, he couldn't do nothing else, but he could throw that hook shot. And, <laughs> and he made it. I mean, if he shot, if he threw five, he was going to make five for five. And I, I could show, I could send you a picture one of these days. You give me a, and you'll see how pretty it, it is. It was just like Kareem threw it, oh. and he loved, you know, he he was a, that was his shot. You know, everybody has a shot, you know, and uh, that was his shot. But they all thought that I should go to Golden State, and they were like, "This guy, you you think you've seen a ball player? They go, where do you play with this guy?" And uh, so, and I thought I was playing with some pretty good guys when I went to uh, Chicago. I was thrilled when I went to Chicago. I mean, you know, Jerry Sloan, Chet Walker, and Bob Love, those guys were unbelievable. And then all of a sudden, I was playing with this cat that could run as good as I, he could run better than me almost, <laughs> you know, and he'd had me surgery. And I had two, I mean, I hadn't had a two, but he, he, he could run, you know, and and I loved it, you know, because we we were, you know, I I get a rebound out sometime and just under. I hated when I did it, but <laughs> I, would, I would get the rebound in one hand because I had big hands. I would grab it and I'd underhand it, throw it out to Rick, and he was gone. <laughs> and, and see what used to piss them guys off is he would be he would come up the wing, handling the ball and just pull up and no and. In those days, there was no threes, yeah. but he was shooting threes then. <laughs> yeah, well, the best thing about it is, is that yeah. all the years that I played, and I played, like I said, Hall of Famer, Nate Thurman, Hall of Famer, Moses Malone, and, and all-star games with, you know, some of the greatest players ever against, you know, I mean, it was, it was amazing, but no one. There is no one, and I, I will I will take anybody. We can go look at all the film. What to look at? I don't think anybody ran the two man game better than Clifford and I ran the two man mm. game. Mm. Now, seriously, we had such great communication. We had, and now, tell me a game, Cyrus, that you've watched in the NBA recently, where you ever saw somebody slip a slip off a two man game and get a dunk. Nobody slips a screen. Nobody has communication. There's this communication going on all the time. Clifford looked at, and he knows if I nodded my head, Clifford knew that he should go to the basket because his guy put himself in a shitty position and he's going to get a dunk. <laughs> he, he, didn't even, he didn't even have to nod his head. He just looked at me. If he looked at me, I knew he wanted me to slip. That's chemistry. I love you it. know, when we first started, he would, you know, nod. 
But it got to a point where he didn't even have to do nothing. He just looked. And I knew this to slip. And it was a quick dunk, you know, because I believed in there's two things that they don't teach in this game. Everybody wants to go to the basket and then they want a two-hand dunk. Well, when you go into the basket, you're going to get hit. So if you get hit or bumped, you're not going to be able to get off the floor as high as you can get off the floor with one hand. And you can always roll it into the basket. There's, mm -hmm. I, I have taught young guys what I call the roll dunk. That's where you catch it and you roll it quick. Bam! It's, and, and it's in the bucket. You know, they don't they don't even teach. And well, you, how are you going to teach something when you never did? Yeah, that's so, for all those, all those wonderful big man's coaches out there who never played the center position in the NBA. Why in the world anybody as a head coach would ever hire somebody to work with this big man who wasn't a former player is beyond my comprehension because you can only learn so much watching film and studying the game. If you haven't played it, there are things about it that you know that you'll that the other people will never know. And Clifford is, is the one like that. Like I say, we can get him back and have a whole show talking about the coaching as well. But the one thing about Clifford did well better than anybody else I've seen even the great players I played with. And I'm telling you, and we've talked about this before, Cyrus, they have to change the terminology of basketball when it comes to screens. Mm -hmm. You don't set screens, okay? There's no such thing as setting a screen. You become a screener when your teammate is intelligent enough and skilled enough to run his defender into his teammate, yeah. thereby making him a screener. And what Clifford did, better than anybody I've ever played with, is he put himself in such great position that I could made it easier for me to set my man up to run him into him. And then he becomes a screener. Even the coaches, Jeff Van Gundy, all these guys, well, he didn't set a very good screen. No, he didn't set anything. That's why there's so many moving <laughs> screens that they don't call because the, the, the offensive guy did such a shitty job and his man is going to come <laughs> over the top of the defender. So, oh, I got to set a screen. So they move. They're just lucky that the officials don't call them as often as they occur. Yeah. So, but he was the best. The best uh, coach, thank you, sir. Are, are you, I want to tell you something before I go. This kid Wiseman could be a great player. I just wish I had opportunity uh, to to work with him at some point. And and uh, but I've been given some time in the G League down with some of the kids in the G League. And Coach Weems is a great a guy. He, he's invited me down and. And so as a little, little young Laker who's now learning to run a basketball team. Now we just got to get him to so, get that son down there to play for him. <laughs> well, yes, you know, uh, I think that probably one of the most talented players, young players, uh, that has been overlooked time and time again. And I'm not saying this because this is my friend. I'm a basketball person. I think I know talent. And I, I, I would stake my life that if he could, that kid was help, stayed healthy like all the rest of them, they all got to be healthy, mm -hmm. they all got to stay healthy. But if given the opportunity, he would be probably one of the most best story in the NBA mm. because of what he's gone through and how he's persevered and just continued to work and do the things that that I feel that that could you know, if given the opportunity, he could be a quite a surprise. His first step is lethal. 
And, and you know, I mean, you can't teach that. It's just like the kid Weissman. His first step is lethal, you know, and all he needs to do is learn how to dominate the game from the inside. Mm-hmm. And then and all the rest of the outside part of the game, he has that down. So it's just learning how to anchor the team from a defensive standpoint, how to put himself in position to be a great rebounder, especially when you're not quite there and strength-wise. You know, you still got work to do. And he will get that because they have a great – I mean, the, the facilities and everything that the Warriors – have done over there in the city is just phenomenal. I mean, we got to practice there when I was with the G League team down in San, from Santa Cruz. I mean, the Santa Cruz G League team. We had some days that we practiced over at the at the facility. And you know, the only way a player like him don't get better is he don't want. He's not willing to work. Mm-hmm. Well, folks, I just want to tell you, we just Clifford. It was it was great to have you on the show. We're definitely going to have you back, and we'll get into the coaching aspect and talk about so much other part of your your life and your career in the game of basketball. But it's it's such always a pleasure to have you uh, on. You know, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Of course, I have the pleasure of being with you, and then we're going to have a great time up in Alaska because oh, oh my God! I, listen, let me tell you something. If I wasn't married. And I'm so grateful that I am. I just had my anniversary, my 30th anniversary, my incredible wife, Lynn, who brought my son Canyon into the world. And they, they congratulations. Thank you. And, but the thing is, is that, <laughs> I mean, she's, she's incredible. But if I was, if I were single, I can tell you right now, one of the greatest shows on television, they would have the new odd couple. It would be Clifford and me. We would probably live together. We did that once for a little bit when I was going through a divorce. But when people are around us and we go fishing, People are just cracked up over the way. I mean, we really are like the God couple. It's really true. Clifford's a great cook, but he's a slob and everything. So I got to clean up after him and doing that. But he's an amazing cook. But we are Oscar and Felix. I mean, we really are. It would be the new odd couple. It would be an incredible reality show following us around, the stuff that we do, the fun that we have together, the love that we have for each other, and the adventures that we've gone on would be an absolute it would be a joy for people, I think, to watch us. They have such a good time watching what it is that we do together. So anyway, Clifford, thank you, Pat. Appreciate it. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you in Alaska, buddy. All right. The odd couple. Oscar and Felix. Coach, it was a pleasure, anyway, sir. Thank you so much. Have a safe, have a safe trip up there with with Bobby. I look forward to seeing you guys up there uh, Friday yeah. night when I get in. All right, uh, it'll be so, folks. Thanks, thanks for joining. Love you, Clifford. Take care. Stay, stay well, nice buddy. To you. Nice to meet you, Cyrus. Pleasure to meet you, Coach. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. And so I hope you enjoyed the the show as much as I enjoyed. I always yes. enjoy getting a chance to talk with Clifford. He's a very special individual. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I say he's, I love him like a brother, and we've just had so many great times together, and hopefully we're going to have many more over the years, chances to do a lot of fun things together. So I wish all of you the best. Uh, yeah, and I think, uh, and, and Rick, before before we go, and again, have fun on your trip. That sounds amazing. I I, I think the time is coming where we got to bring either Steve Kerr and or Bob Myers to the program and get into the head directly. You know what I'm saying? And and kind of feed them the fact. I mean, who knows if they're even aware that you know clifford ray is this invaluable resource to help with wiseman i mean I don't, who knows if they're even aware that your son is there for the for the taking you know i mean so maybe we just need to get him on and just kind of no 
Now, it's well, just that- one of those things you got to be in the right place at the right time, but they, they yeah. are missing the boat. I mean, Clifford Ray is without question, I think, has had the most success and has been the most successful big man's coach in NBA history. I mean, there's no coach that's been around that's mm-hmm. taken so many players and done so many things with them, taking them to whole new levels. And to not have him be a part of your team and to have brought in all the other people they have. And this is not in deference to those other people. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to put them down. I'm just trying to build up. I mean, Clifford has, he's got the resume. Yes, he and does. He's the guy that is, and, yes, and the, players, the players love him. They love him. They work hard for him. And he teaches them things that they're not being taught. Just like you said, he was able to explain the things that Wiseman needs to be able to do, the stuff yes. that he can bring to the table. He has a feel for the game that I've not seen anybody else have. In fact, when I coached with him, he coached with me many times in the minor leagues. I would, when I, I call a timeout, when I call a timeout, I say, Clifford, tell them what you told me before this timeout. Because his insight and his feel for the game is so freaking incredible. Yeah. I mean, he knows the game so amazingly well. And uh, anyway, that's a whole nother well, just story. What it, well, no, 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 but just for like what he was saying uh, in regards to the NBA Finals last year, how if he was on the coaching staff for the Suns, he would have approached right. Giannis completely differently and and just manned up, you know, face him directly instead of trying to steer him in one direction. Well, but, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, but also not that you can't let him single cover him. Yeah, you can't yeah exactly. I mean, that's what he was saying. And you want to cover him before he gets on the move. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, what you, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Just his yeah. field the game is incredible. So, and before, and before we go, Rick, because because we're not going to have another show with you for close to two weeks while you're in Alaska. Uh, uh, first of all, all your all your uh, uh, companies that you endorse, uh, Medisleaf is one of them, right? Yeah. Medisleaf.com. Yeah, Medisleaf.com. Put the code twenty four in to get something there, and then you put the code RB twenty four into GoSleeves.com. I'm trying like right. hell to get. I'm trying to get a sleeves and sleeves to, to clay. Play. Buy yes. these, but I think they will really help him. I and mean, it's not like I, I'm just, I'm, I've been working hard. Leandro Barbosa is trying to do that. I just, <laughs> I I, just send me the measurement. I told you how to do it. Try them. I mean, they, they're not going to hurt you. I think it can help you. I just want to help you get back as close right. to, you know, being as great a player as you were before the injuries. And so that's all I'm trying to do. I'm not asking for anything. I'm trying to help you. Yeah, and, Absolutely. Uh, so, and you can follow Rick and you can follow Rick on all his social media platforms at Rick 24 Barry. You can follow me on Twitter at Dogs or Frocho and you can follow all uh, the show on all platforms and social media at uh, Warriors 24 pod. Have fun on that trip. That sounds amazing. Rick, always a pleasure, sir. Thank you so much. That'd be great. Thanks so much. Bye, everybody. Presented by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.